The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Amen. Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Book of Proverbs, chapter 31. If you're with the threes and fours class, you are dismissed to your class. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you need a copy of God's Word, just slip up your hand. We've got extras uh, in the back, and they would be glad to bring you one. Proverbs, chapter 31, is where we will be after almost six months of studying through the book of Proverbs, we find ourselves at the final chapter, chapter 31. And while this chapter is put here on purpose uh, by the divinely inspired editors of the book of Proverbs, this chapter actually introduces us to a new author that's going to bring us home. Last week we concluded the words of Agor in Proverbs chapter 30, and this week we turn to Proverbs chapter 31, the words of King Lemuel. And again, we are introduced to a guy that we know little to nothing about except for what is in this very chapter. All we know about him is in this text. We know that he passed down a wisdom tradition that the people of Israel understood to be an oracle from God. We know this man was a king. We know this man's name means dedicated to God. And we know that this man had a caring mother who taught him what it would take to be a king who was dedicated to God. Verses 1 through 9 is where we'll be this morning of Proverbs chapter 31, and it's actually a retelling of what King Lemuel's mother taught him. So let's, let's read and let's pray uh, for understanding, beginning in verse 1. The words of King Lemuel an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing, wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, remember their misery no more. Open your mouth. For the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. All right, let's, let's pray 
together. Thank you, Lord, for this inspired text in your word. Thank you for bringing us to it today. Would you help us to approach it in humility with open hands to receive from you whatever it is that you intended to teach through this text? Father, we pray that you would help us to not only learn this morning, but to apply true things to our lives for the fulfillment of your mission in the world. Use your inspired scriptures this morning to stir our hearts to worship to stir our hearts to, to obedience, to magnify Christ. Father, we pray, would Christ be magnified this morning by your grace and for your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 31, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel. I think that's the right pronunciate, pronunciation, Lemuel, but my uh, North Georgia accent just wants to say Lemuel, Lemuel. <laughs> So they're probably going to hear a variation as we get going here. Uh, But Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now, the first thing that we recognize about this particular text is the identification of the author as a king. Now, to be a king was a big deal for the people of Israel. A monarchy, a, a kingdom was very much shaped for the better or for the worse by the kind of king that ruled the land. And much of Israel's story, if you've read through the Bible, much of Israel's story is a story about a lot of bad kings with a few good ones. And Proverbs is primarily written by King Solomon uh, as wisdom, not only for households within the kingdom to grow in the wisdom of God, but for the next generation of kings. And so here we have uh, words to the next generation of kings. We see this theme all the way back in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 12, that speaks about the rule of a king. It says, it's an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. He loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. Check out verse 15. In the light of a king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Again, in Proverbs 19, 12, the king's wrath is like a growling lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. Proverbs expose to us a divine responsibility that kings had. God gave kings authority to be stewarded for the good of his kingdom. That authority was to reign in a way that reflected God's reign. You see, in God's kingdom, when kings walk in God's wisdom, they use their authority to give life to people. Like the favor of of clouds that bring the spring rain. At youth camp this week, uh, on Monday, I sent out a group message to all of our church members with a a screenshot of the temperature, and it said, feels like 108 degrees, and it felt like every ounce of it. And we were doing Bible studies in a single-wide trailer that the AC was not keeping up with. So it was over 80 degrees in our trailer with middle school and high school boys trying to study the Bible for an hour. And I shot out a text, please pray. (laughs) Pray for God to work a miracle. And then on Tuesday, the favor of clouds and a spring, summer rain 
came on us, and it drastically changed the nature of the rest of the camp. It, it relieved us. And this text says that the rule of a king should be like that, that he brings relief. He brings comfort to the people that he is over. King David actually articulates this in his last words about what it means to be a king over God's kingdom. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, listen to what King David says. He says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Good kings that are dedicated to God bring blessing, bring flourishing, to the people that God has given them. And in doing so, they reflect the rule of our God. You see, good Israelite kings recognized that they were subservient to the true king of all the universe. Back in Proverbs 8, verse 15, wisdom, God's wisdom says, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. Now, this was God's plan for good kings, but if we really step back and look at the story of the Bible, this is God's plan for all of His people. We were made to reflect God to the world by the way we steward whatever authority we've been given to lead others to flourish to lead others to find peace and security and joy. You go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1 as God's describing why he created humanity and what you'll find is kingly-like language. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 on the screen. It says God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created, male and female he created, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on earth. According to Genesis, we were made to use whatever authority, opportunity, and position God gives us to reflect the rule and reign of our God so that others might flourish. When we reflect God's rule for the good of God's people, we expand God's kingdom, and that's really the mission of every Christian, to expand God's kingdom, to reflect the goodness of our king. That's the whole sandwich of Acts, the book of Acts. I mean, the book of Acts begins with Jesus for 40 days talking to Christians. What's he talking about in Acts 1-3? He's speaking about the kingdom of God. 28 chapters later, Lots of sharing about Jesus, lots of mission, lots of churches being planted. And Paul describes what he's doing, very last verse of the book, Acts 28, verse 31. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, so why have we done all this work? We're trying to locate why in the world this proverb to this king matters to us. Well, here's the reality of the Bible, truth number one. We all have a kingdom-expanding ministry. 
We all have a kingdom-expanding ministry. We all have authority given to us, positions given to us, spheres of influence given to us, giftings given to us, for us to steward for the good of God's people and for the glory of God. Proverbs 31 is an oracle about what it will take to be a wise king. But every bit of wisdom given here for his wise kingship is wisdom that we need in our jobs and neighborhoods and relationships and marriages and parenting to extend the kingdom of God. And in fact, the first kingdom ministry we see in Proverbs 31 is not actually the ministry of King Lemuel. It's the ministry of his mama that we see first. Behind every good king is a good parent, or at least a good parent figure. King Lemuel is articulating here a wisdom oracle that he would not have known if his mother did not pass it to him. Look at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? You know she's a mama because she said it three times, right? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I've heard this before, right? This, this mother has given the name to her son, dedicated to God or devoted to God. She's taught him the wisdom of God over and over. She apparently has called him out and held him accountable on his sin, right? The language is, a, is not a, what are you doing, I'm curious. It is a, what are you doing, you should stop that, right? <laughs> it's like if your son is, is hitting his sister and you say, what are you doing? You're not asking for explanation. You're wanting him to stop what he's doing. So here's the mother giving instruction, and he remembers it. What this last chapter in Proverbs 31 is, is modeling is what the whole book of Proverbs began with in chapter 1. Remember, the very first sentence of the body of wisdom in Proverbs was Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, and listen to what it says. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The Proverbs remind us that even if you're not a king, right, you have a little k kingdom in your life, which is your family. Parenting and ministry to children and then teenagers that perhaps are not yours, but in this church, ministering to children and teenagers is especially kingdom-expanding work. And King Solomon gives the book of Proverbs so that it could be a tool for shaping children and teenagers to walk in the wisdom of God. And so like kings who steward their authority to bring flourishing to the kingdom, parents steward their authority to bring spiritual growth to their children's. And that means they've got to have some hard conversations that are proactive and reactive. King Lemuel's mother apparently taught him over and over and over so that this oracle stuck and that he could recreate it. And so this is kind of a sidestep, side commercial here, but parents do not punt on your responsibility to have hard conversations with your kids about what it looks like to be dedicated to God. Your kids will not naturally gravitate to devotion to the Lord. 
they will naturally gravitate away from it, not toward it. And teenagers in the room, hello teenagers in the room, do not take for granted if you actually have adults in your life who love you enough to speak wisdom into your life. That they would not do it if they didn't love you. It is work, hard work, sacrificial work, to try to speak truth to you. So when an adult who loves you tries to speak truth to you, see it for what it is, the grace of God. It's a gift for your good. And might I remind you of a verse from last week, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. I don't know if they, uh, they sell signs with that on it for your house. <laughs> the gruesomeness in that verse is on purpose. It, it's supposed to stand as a warning against ignoring the godly wisdom of adults who really do love you. Listen, as we, as we pour our lives into the next generation, including our own children, children of this community, um, who do not have God-loving parents, uh, we are doing the work of kingdom expansion. We all have kingdom-expanding ministry to do. The question is whether we are fulfilling that ministry well or not. And so, now that we've done a lot of framework, a lot of setup, let's look at the actual wisdom that King Lemuel's mother gives to him. Verse 3. Verse 3. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Truth number two. First bit of wisdom. A good king is self-controlled. Lemuel's mother gives her son some sound of advice here that is grounded in historical and biblical evidence, right? King Solomon, who writes most of the Proverbs, eventually sabotages his own ministry and kingdom because he was unable to maintain self-control when it came to his lustful desire for sexual and relational intimacy. He gave his strength away to foreign women who worshipped false gods, and it destroyed him. King David himself faced, sim faced terrible sorrow because he gave himself to a woman that was not his wife. The point is the inability to control self in this area brought down whole kingdoms. And Lemuel's mother is not afraid to have the awkward conversation with her son. She's willing to sit down with her son and have the very awkward conversation about sexual intimacy and relationships because she knows if she doesn't drill this into his head, he will destroy the kingdom because of the lustful desire in his heart. She warns him, do not be so proud as to think you can disobey God in this area and keep the kingdom. Later in chapter 31, uh, in our sermon next week, King Lemuel's mother will actually articulate a description of the kind of wife that her son should pursue 
if he wants to live a wise and blessed life. But if he's going to pursue that kind of wife, it's going to require extreme self-control. Because when you're the king, it's very easy to think that you deserve anything and everything you want in any moment in life. And for him to wait for what she describes will require incredible patience and self-control. There's a reason, though, she describes her prohibition in this way. She doesn't just say, hey, don't sleep with a bunch of women. Hey, don't sleep with women who worship false gods. She says it in a particular way. Do not give your strength to women. She, she's teaching something even in the way that she explains this. To lack self-control in this area is a dangerous sign of the kind of weakness that a king will carry over into all his ruling. Lack of self-control in this area is a kind of weakness that leaves you open to destructions you never even imagined. Proverbs 25, verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Strength, in this case, is synonymous with self-control it takes to resist temptations. Our personal holiness will affect our ability to expand the kingdom of God. And King Lemuel's mother is raising him to value the ability to control your actions when your sinful desires want to lead you down a destructive path. And this is true for kings. This is true for pastors. One of the qualifications for a pastor in Titus 1 verse 8 is that they be self-controlled. But this isn't just for pastors. This is true for all men, young and old, all women, young and old. Paul writes to Titus, and this is what he tells them in verse 2 of chapter 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. Down verse 6, just in case we miss anybody, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. You want to live a life that expands the big, glorious, eternal kingdom of God, Part of the battle is being self-controlled not to walk down the paths that God says lead to destruction. Truth number two, a good king is self-controlled, but it's not just actions being controlled. It's also a mind that is clear. Truth number three, a good king is sober-minded. A good king is sober-minded. Verse four of Proverbs 31. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Yes, they drink and forget what's been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing. Wine to those who in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now the Proverbs have a lot to say about the taking in of substances that distort your ability to think clearly. Alcohol is never associated with wisdom in this book. Never. 
it is always identified with the wicked or as a tool in the hand of the adversary. Always. In Proverbs 9, the adulteress, Lady Folly, uses wine as the tool she uses to allure the victim into Sheol. (laughs) Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, verse 30, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Now, I, as your pastor, will not stand up from this pulpit and say that the Bible commands total abstinence from alcohol. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible clearly commands that we're not to be drunk with wine, period. To be drunk with wine is a sin. I will not lay on you burdens that the Bible does not lay on you. But I will say what the Bible says. And what the Bible does is it gives you very, very strong warnings about a substance that is distorts your mind. Our mission in life requires sober thinking. To expand the kingdom of God, we must be able to see and think clearly. And King Lemuel's mother says, strong drink is for someone who's dying. Strong drink is for someone who is in physical distress. Now, obviously, before anesthetics and pain medicine... Strong drink would have been a helpful thing for a lot of people. But she says, leave it to those people who are dying (laughs) to take the strong drink. The purpose of the strong drink was so that someone might forget the reality of their pain. Verse 6, give strong drink to the one who's perishing. Let them drink and forget their poverty. Remember their misery no more. The ministry of a king, however was all about remembering true things. Verse 5, lest they drink and forget what's been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. The Christian life is a ministry of remembering. The Christian life is a battle for grounding ourselves in reality, not an attempt to escape it, right? And so she says you need to be grounded in reality to do what God has called you to do. Truth is a weapon of your warfare. Truth remembered and applied is the battleground. Therefore, a clear and controlled mind is essential for our kingdom-expanding ministry. So let me just encourage you, Christian, if, if you are in the habit of using mind-altering substances or addictions or habits that hinder your sober-mindedness, then your ability to expand the kingdom of God is hindered. King Lemuel's mother continues in verse 8 to articulate what, there's a play on words here, she's telling him what to close his mouth to, right? Stop taking in stuff for your own self-indulgence. And then in verse 8, she transitions to what he should open his mouth to do, right? So verse 8, open your mouth for the mute, 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So close your mouth to self-indulgences that hinder your ability to lead. Open your mouth for what you're really called to do here. Truth number four, a good king serves selflessly. I just want you to hear the remarkable moral ethic that his mama is trying to instill into her son about what it really means to be king. To be a king who's dedicated to God. It is. To be king is not to suck the life from everyone else. It is not to tax all your people to live as, as most luxurious as you can. To be king is not to serve self. To be king meant that you steward your resources, your wealth, your power, your authority, your time to be a blessing to those who cannot pay you back. To be a king who is dedicated to God meant ruling in such a selfless way that you sacrificed for those who had nothing to offer you. It means closing your, your mouth to the self-indulgences of sex and alcohol and opening your mouth to speak for those in the kingdom who cannot speak for themselves. The mute, the destitute, the poor, the needy. It is to use your authority not to bless yourself, but to be a blessing to others. This has always been the way of the kingdom. God gave Israel laws to follow that would protect the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. From the beginning, he reveals himself as a God who cares for slaves in Egypt and destroys Pharaoh and his army. He's always been the God who cares for slaves, sinners, and sufferers. And so to rule as God rules is to care for those who can't care for themselves. The book of James picks up the theme, religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The emphasis in ministry to children or orphans is to care for those who are in desperate need but can never pay you back for what you pour out for them. No resources in return, no bargaining, no deals being made. This, according to James, is true religion. This, according to Proverbs 31, is what it means to be a king that's dedicated to God. Well, let, me, let me just pause there and let me ask you, does your ministry life resemble that kind of selflessness or does it resemble selfishness? Do you only serve in ways that make you most comfortable and cost you the least? Do you only pour yourself out in areas where you discern tangible return, whether that be glory from others or something else. Let me encourage you, Christian, to pour yourself out in ways for those 
who cannot give back to you. Consider discipleship ministry with teenagers or children in our church that do not have parent figures who will point them to Jesus. Consider ministries like foster care or adoption that change the lives of young people who desperately need to see the love of Christ. Consider the spiritual, physical needs of those around you in our church or in our immediate community. Get creative. Go to God. Ask, how can I expand the kingdom today? There are physical needs all around us for sure, but even more than that, the greatest need around us is always spiritual. And sometimes the most selfless act of service you can offer someone else is to stick your neck out there at the risk of being ridiculed and tell them about the hope of Jesus. Sometimes the most selfless act, sometimes it is easier for you to show up and feed the homeless than it is for you to open your mouth and say, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Sometimes it costs you more to open your mouth and say, Jesus is the only way of salvation than it does to serve in a physical capacity all day long. We live in a community of great need. The question is, will we pour ourselves out in ways that don't give the return that we want? Ways that may come at great personal, social, or emotional cost to us. If there was ever anyone who is mute, destitute, poor, and needy, it's the person who has no relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're going to expand the kingdom, it's going to require us to open our mouth for those who are dead in sin. Kingdom expanding work is going to be selfless and sacrificial, and this should only make sense to us from this side of the cross because of exactly what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords did for us. And this brings us to our last truth this morning, truth number five. Jesus is the good King. Everything that earthly kings were supposed to do, King Jesus came and did perfectly. Everything about Jesus' crucifixion story points to the fact that Jesus was the King the world was waiting for. A King who would be self-controlled and sober-minded until the end. A king who would complete the greatest act of selfless service in the history of the world. Jesus literally sacrificed his whole self for the salvation of anyone who would come to him. He literally gave it all for a people who could give him nothing but their sin and shame. You contribute nothing to his existence and he gave everything for your salvation. He saved us like a king stepping down from his throne and sacrificing himself for us. Just listen. This is where we will close this morning. Mark chapter 15, verse 16 through 32. And as we read, all we'll see is Jesus doing exactly what King Lemuel was supposed to do with his mother's wisdom. Mark 15, 16, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to them. And when they'd mocked him, 
They stripped him of a purple cloak, put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who's coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the ascription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left, and those passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down for the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. The problem is, with that mocking shout, let the king of Israel come down from the cross, Jesus was proving himself to be the good king of Israel by staying on the cross for you. This is what a good king looks like. This is what Christian looks like. They pour themselves out for the good of others, especially for others that don't give them anything in return but mockery and ridicule and sin and shame. Everything King Lemuel's mother wanted for her son, Jesus came to do perfectly. And now calls us to do the same through our kingdom-expanding work. So let me close with just a few questions for you to consider. How do you need to sharpen your reflection of King Jesus this morning? Do you see ways that you can carry out kingdom-expanding ministry through your life? Where do you lack self-control? Where do you lack sober-mindedness? How could you serve others around you in more selfless ways to reflect Christ Jesus? And after you've looked a lo hard, long look at yourself and the ways that you could better serve King Jesus, after you've taken a long, hard look at yourself, make sure you don't stay there. Make sure that you then look up and take a long, hard look at Jesus who did this perfectly to meet your greatest need, which is to give you grace and forgiveness and salvation for all of our fledgling efforts that fail into our own selfishness. And so let's look at ourselves, and then let's look to Jesus. Let's pray, and let's respond to God's Word. Lord, we just thank you so much for Proverbs chapter 31 and uh, the way in which this anticipates the work of Jesus. Help us, God, to, to just reflect a little on how we could bring our lives as an offering to you this morning and, and then to reflect a little about 
uh, how King Jesus uh, is our only hope and deserves all the praise and honor and glory for being a good king in our lives. Thank you, God, for stewarding your authority to bring blessing to us, though we have nothing to repay you with, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.